planner, right? Like, I have a lot of plans, a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. What happens has nothing to do with my plans. Really? Yeah, I've seen that. I've, um, I can vouch for that. This week we planned on talking about book three of Korra, of which I had planned two days of viewing, one of which was very diligently completed. And then the other day, the Canadian club attacked. The Canadian club attacked. They are, they're sort of a subtype of bloodbender that turns 40% of your blood into alcohol. James was remarking that that thing was full when he left. <laughs> we that was not a fifth nor a leader, but a handle of Canadian Club. Here is how much I drank on Thanksgiving. There is a movie called Ninja Assassin starring Rain, who's a pop star. Mm-hmm. I was so drunk three hours before I was done drinking. That I thought Ninja Assassin was a good movie. I mean, it probably wasn't. I think I remember everyone was kind of disappointed with that one. It might as well have been Romeo and fucking Juliet. So here's the fucking thing that happened. Is that I came over with the expectation that we were going to watch Korra. And I'm not sure that you even knew that I was there. <laughs> even as you were talking to me. So... <laughs> When I woke up the next day, I went through my cell phone, and I saw that I had texted you to come over, mm-hmm. and you had confirmed that you had gone over, but I had no memories of Zaheer, and more importantly, no memories of you. We went to the bodega and everything. I went to the bodega? Hey, if you check your credit card record, we've got um, a couple cans of Coke Zero and a couple chocolate bars. A couple cans of Coke Zero and a couple of chocolate bars. Okay. You can divine the veining. I, I can't. It seems that I really wanted to avoid sugar and then inhale it. So yeah, the the viewing of Korra together didn't happen, but Sam has been rewatching the original series lately, and I in my hungover stupor rewatched most of the original series today. So we're going to do a little walk through memory lane through the original series, which we just enjoy the whole of... Without restraint or irony or what have you. Uh, I, uh, I don't even know if I have any quibbles with it. It is a strikingly consistent product. Like, I watched... When people talk about episodes they didn't enjoy in the series, I think the two that generally get... I don't even know what the second one is. What's the... What, okay, so what... Okay, so the two that people I know mm-hmm. dunk upon are probably, like, Great The Divide. Great Divide, which is, like, an okay episode of television. Mm-hmm. And the fortune teller, whose only big thing is that in this whole action-adventure suite, they are taking a hard detour to fuck around for a bit. And, I don't know, maybe it's nice to have that sometimes. Maybe it's what keeps Aang from going crazy. Maybe if the fortune teller episode never happens, Aang is rocking gently back and forth like Shinji Ikari. (laughs) He gets close. Life is not kind to Aang. Aang is honestly why I wanted to do this episode, uh, because with the context that being just older has brought me, Aang is far more interesting than I at first gave him credit for. When I was 
you know, when I had first watched this series, when I had first declared it to be one of the best fucking things I've ever seen, and I stand by that, mm-hmm. um, Aang was, in my head, a very good protagonist. He was, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was compelling enough. You wanted to see him succeed. You could identify with him a little bit. Uh, he, you know, he was, he was Luke Skywalker, right? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not as much as other characters, but, you know, enough that you didn't get bored with him. Um, I thought he was, you know, a very, you know, um, like a really good workhorse of a protagonist. Now that I am older, now that I have returned to this show, I actually think that he has the most interesting arc. Believe me, I am a lifelong Zuko is one of the best character arcs ever written guy, like... Trust me, mm-hmm. I don't say this lightly. I think Aang and his intense fear of failure is um, one of the most fantastically written and one of the most fantastically identifiable arcs um, in- I've ever seen in a um, protagonist for you know just a standard Campellian hero's journey. A bold statement, Sam. You're running against a lot of right eye makeup at conventions. <laughs> And trust me, I I still do think all the things that everyone who fucking loves Zuko, because I love Zuko, I still think all of those things about Zuko. I still think that he has one of the best told redemption arcs of all time. I think he's both a fantastic villain and a fantastic hero. I don't know what else there really is to say about Zuko. So much ink has been spilled. I think less ink has been spilled about Aang than he perhaps deserves. Oh, okay, then let's dump some more ink onto his body, even though his uh, head and arms are still wearing that shit forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, remember the prison gag? That's... But something I just wrote down a lot in my notes, which I forgot to bring with me, because, again, hungover, dead, basically a corpse. This thing is so much funnier, but... Oh, it's really good, yeah. But I'm going to focus on the Aang thing, since you're giving us your theses there. Aang's in his... On all three layers, I guess, is backstory, behaviors, and plots. They do a really great job of just underlining the word pressure around him. And just the influence of pressure on him. And it made me think about how... It's interesting because a lot of action-adventure protagonists are in situations that are not much more or less stressful than Aang. But Aang is really a... There's an exploration of just what the idea of the heroic sword of Damocles actually used that reference correctly. Whoa, that's it fucking is. crazy. You did, yeah. The heroic sword of Damocles just hovering over your head constantly and from preteen age going forward might do to someone psychologically. Yeah. And in a very particular way, like there are probably a lot of ways that could kick someone. They might turn into some, I don't know, Shirogane-esque <laughs> machine. He is more of the rich man's son that smokes weed all the time and tries not to think about it. More inclined to do something, anything, literally anything other than, you know, confront what he is afraid of. It's great because you, I think the last time I watched this show all the way through um, was several years ago. You know, I've been, you know, out on my own for half a decade now. And it was... I think maybe just after I, you know, moved out, right? When right. I last watched this thing. So this is your first viewing as a free man. And then, well, this is my first viewing as an older man. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think I was I, I would still call myself like very very young the last time I um the last time I watched this, and now I think that I'm a little bit older, 
You know, now that I've lived a little bit more of my life, not that much more. I again, I'm still somewhere. We have a listener in his. 50s I'm still under thirty, and uh, yeah, I know if rage. you're older than me, then you think that I'm full of shit and I'm a jackass, and you're probably right. But with you know those couple of years, I have learned one or two things, not many, but one or two things, and one of them is an intense fucking fear of falling through the cracks, of failing, of confronting the world, and the world is too much for me. Right, uh, um, and it it has driven almost every fucking action that I have taken. What's it like to be afraid of failure, Sam? Well, there's a protagonist that I could uh, <laughs> that I of a really good show that I could point you towards, who does a very good job of. It's. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that this isn't maybe more well trod, at least this aspect of it, because. I guess when I think of the journey of someone like Luke or, I don't know, whatever the dingus who finds a sort of truth mm-hmm. or what have you. I mean, there's definitely a lot of a lot about reacting to trauma, reacting to danger. And, like, that, that does inform his character, too, because he yeah. already fucked up once, right? That's, that's there, right? That's there in his head. That's there, you know, kind of haunting him a little bit. Just this sort of impossible-to-reconcile scenario where... I was faced with this problem, I turned away from it, and because of that, all of the bad things happened. And then at the same time, but also, if I hadn't, I'd probably just have died anyway, so what does it matter? But also, yeah, but you can't know that for sure. Maybe there was something I could have done, but also, but also, but, but also, also right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has all of those questions be cursing on his head constantly in the background. Tapping his feet, staring at someone, says, hey, do you want to race penguins? And they're like, what? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's dogging him from behind. And, you know, this this vague image of the Fire Lord is dogging him from ahead. And I fucking love, by the way, that they spent so long, you know, just not showing you his face, right? Yeah. Because that's season. perfect. It's a perfect little metaphor yeah. for just this vague, nebulous evil lurking in the future, right? That's, that's going to have to be confronted at some point. And, you know, you don't even hear his voice until halfway through the first season. Speaking of the Fire Lord. Yeah. Totally small aside. Mm-hmm. But just from a retrospective kind of thing. I basically had it explained to me as a teenager that Zuko's mom probably off to the granddad and all that. I never fucking made that connection. I had I never made that connection myself, and I rewatched it, and it, it's all but her kneeling down before the kid saying, "Baba has to go now," <laughs> and so does Mama for related yet distinct reasons. Fuck! By I way, can't it, believe it, it's, I it's never funny that, that the omen comes came up in our last episode mm-hmm. because young azula in that same episode is almost like a preteen version of that fucking She's kid fucking satan <laughs> fucking satan like you can talk about how well humanized everyone else is but she is just this no she's a fucking psychopath she's a yeah. very well-written psychopath there's a good spread of um characters written with varying levels of empathy like, mm. Zuko, right, is a good person who is kind of low empathy. He kind of has trouble fucking relating to people, right? And it, it, so it's, it's kind of always getting him in trouble, and he's angry kind of because he's of it. He's sort of getting telegrams. And getting telegrams that are misspelled, right, from people. And, you know, it, I think it contributes just a little bit to why he's just such an irritable dude. I mean, there's mm. everything else, certainly, but also he just has a fucking hard time talking to people. Yeah. Right? Then there's... 
Aang uh, and Katara, like who were both like the most intensely in. yeah. empathetic characters, almost debilitatingly so because the, it it can hurt sometimes, you know, um, just being that fucking in tune with every single human being that you come by. I mean, I think it gets Ender's them into half just of their trouble. That. They just Orson Scott Card wrote an entire fucking book series about that. I will always be fascinated by the fact that Orson Scott Card's soul is smarter than his brain. Yes, no, he's. The most horrible fucking human being who has written such a fantastic book series and has come up with such fantastic ideas and also thinks that gays can be cured. He is basically that... Okay, this is an old 4chan joke. So D&D has these things called werebears, which is like a werewolf, but the the like half-animal form that you turn into at night is lawful good. And there used to be an old forge of, like, an evil wizard who would just wake up surrounded by, like, slain demons. And they're like, no, no, it happened again! <laughs> I'm getting away from the away from the point here. But, yes, Orson Scott Card has that weirdness about him. By the way, a lot, a lot of my favorite episodes in this fucking show are written by Aaron Ehas, who went on to do the whole Dragon Prince thing. I, just, I swear to God, you like it if you give it a chance. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, sideways plug there. <laughs> Um, I think, I don't know when the next season is coming out, but it is definitely coming out. It's coming out in action-adventure animation time, in which you will go through different stages of your life between seasons of a fucking show. Oh god, fucking tell me about it. I've, I've at this point, almost kind of grown up with Young Justice. (laughs) God, I think Young Justice's perspective on the world has evolved with mine. (laughs) It's, it's a show that has gotten older. It's a strange place to be. I mean, be. It, it literally is a show that has gotten older. So since we're talking about an epic fantasy thing here, I want to just point out that the fucking coffee drip of information and world-building stuff in this is really kind of incredibly paced. Yes. I don't know if there was an executive directive where someone just pinned against the wall of a Pizzler Temple and said, Listen, you are confusing the fuck out of these kids. You get one new word an episode. <laughs> I am sort of wondering, right, if um, how much of this was made up on the fly and how much of it was already there and they were just very, very careful about how um, how long between, you know, plot drips they gave you. I know that a few things were changed, you know, during production, right? For instance, this is a pretty well-known one. The intro sequence, right? All of the various, you know, benders doing their thing. Yeah. The Earthbender in the intro sequence was what was the character that Toph was originally going to be, right? Mm. Um, but they dropped that, um, I think, because in the Fortune Teller, the aforementioned Fortune Teller ap- episode, uh, her, her voice actress, you know, played this one in- incidental character, uh, and she charmed everyone so much that they wrote Toph for her. That's great. Right. Um... So I, I know that a good amount of this series sort of happened organically, but, you know, a series with a, you know, mythology and a world this complex does not happen as it is being written. Um, unless you're talking about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> oh, God, man. Some people are going to die angry about that one. They said after two episodes of... <laughs> Dragging Korra to the edge of the pier. Step in the cement. Step in the cement. Step in the fucking cement. <laughs> oh man. That's a that's a great question though. 
everyone has a different method when it comes out stuff creatively. I tend to there's this be con- a lily pads kind of guy. There's this conversation slash argument over how much of Aang and Katara's relationship arc was um, pre-planned and how much of it uh, came about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the, the real fucking, like, Zutarin holdouts, right? The fucking, you know, like, Japanese dude in the jungle in 1973, you know, fucking killing Taurus with a tanto. I have never seen... Right? Truer evidence of something awful is an old motto that the internet makes, makes you, you stupid. stupid. They still claim, to this very day, that it was originally written... Or that Zutara was originally written as the ship, the cannon ship that was going to happen. Damn. Uh, and then they changed their minds. Like, fucking... <laughs> like, the fucking... Like, what, what are they called? Like, the, the daughters of the Confederacy or something like that? <laughs> fucking teaching their God. kids about the Lost I'm just cost. thinking of a, ja- a Japanese soldier in the fucking jungle somewhere. <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors now, but it's the same basic concept. He hasn't heard the Emperor surrendered yet. He won't acknowledge it. The thing that they all point to, right, is the fucking Empire Strikes Back-ass finale that season two had, which, by the way, is a couple of my favorite episodes of television. Yeah, those two. Just ever. Just fucking ever. I have rewatched those two episodes an unhealthy number of times. I think I could do a radio play, just read of half the lines. Oh, absolutely. That's one of those things where I could just shut my eyes and then, you know, but hey, you won't be able to go into the Avatar state at all. Yeah. The other thing I can do is I can always improv my way through the plot of an entire theoretical episode of Metalocalypse with only a subject. It is like a disability. I feel I feel like we've done that before. We did, we did. It was a full 21-minute Metalocalypse episode where they build a fucking theme park. I remember that! One of these days we'll get fucking James on this show and we will just ad lib. All right, that, that, that the, might be that a way. very special supplement. That will be a very special uh, fucking purgatorio. Um, we can we can um, we can ad lib like a fucking episode of fucking I don't know, Fooly Cooly or something like. That. Uh, the uh, the scene that they all point to right is the scene where you know he's trying to unlock his final chakra with the the cosmic energy right, and he's mm-hmm. being told that he needs to let go of his earthly attachments. Are right, and the idea is that his character arc was going to go in a direction where he does, in fact, let go of all of his earthly attachments, but, like, in the fucking same episode, right? <laughs> in the same in the same two-parter, at least, you've got Iroh, right, whose job is being right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> saying, saying, no, I think that's stupid. I think you're, I think you're actually wise to choose, to choose love over, you know, whatever, you know, fucking <laughs> high-minded, you know, fucking... Abstract nonsense. Abstract nonsense. You know the, the, they've been trying to sell you. Um, so I don't, I don't buy what they are telling me for a second here. Uh, which this actually brings me to just the Aang and Katara um, relationship arc and how good it is in a way that I did not really at first notice. Just now, again, as an adult. Oh yeah, it's a nice drip feed. I think. It just and it, it, it never really grates on me. Like sometimes I have trouble maybe being super invested in their twelve to fourteen year old romance. They're thirteen and fifteen at the end, so it's like a little bit less like. It's never never is it weird or creepy. It's just like oh no, I don't mean in like a way you're that you're fucking it's, twelve and you're fucking yeah yeah. It's, it's, the world is ending. 
I don't even know if your sexual orientation is going to change in two years. <laughs> what I liked about it is kind of how subtle it is, how you can just always sort of notice watching pretty much every episode that the whole thing is just based on this mutual trust and it's just very non-toxic and yeah. thus boring to toxic people. They like they just they just have a vision each- of relationships yeah. that it should always end of a sword fight on a mountain and one of them is pregnant or it's about to toss a baby off a river. No, yeah. man, they just trust one another with each other's secrets. It's it's oh, nice. What was the name of that one insane long fanfic comic? How I Became it, Yours. How I Became, how I became yours, yours. Yeah, which, that's the one. I think might be one of the creative achievements of the 21st century. I think I'm I'm really fucking grateful that that exists. Sort of Very, the way that I'm really grateful that um, Fifty Shades of Grey exists. Like, they're just getting a strong reaction from a reader. That thing is... Good fucking... Pretty incredible. <laughs> Fandoms are fucking wild, man. I, this thing was... I am generally anti-fandom in general, but... Every now and again, you'll get some fucking train wreck like that that makes me sort of grateful that they exist. I think Avatar came in at a funny point timing-wise as far as the shippers go. In that it was when the, these comedians are starting to get really intense, but not so much widely derided yet. No, it's so it, it, because they were, they were these closed circles, right? No yeah. one really had you know, a view in on them yet because no one was really paying that much attention quite yet because the real-world consequences were if they did if they did exist then they were not so um under a spotlight the Mm -hmm. way that you know fucking the dude at the fucking mcdonald's screaming pickle rick um (coughs) is these days why don't we believe in anything the way that man believes in rick and morty i don't want to be that man uh so i don't want to believe in anything that strongly i don't don't you want to believe in like democracy or freedom or love the way he believes in Rick and Morty. I just think it's a mistake to be fanatical about anything. That's a good lesson. That's a good perspective. I don't even know how one could be fanatical about democracy, but I, I, I like it. I think it's a good thing. I think it should stay. I think it should stay. I was a bit worried about it. I was getting kind of touch and go. I mean, Despite myself, every single, like, every part of me is just being like, no, 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 you need to enjoy this. This is, this is what you've been oh, waiting yeah, for this. for four years. This is, this is the icing on the fucking cake. Enjoy the resolution. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not going to go the way that, you know, that part of your brain is telling you it's going to go. You just need to not fucking fuck this up for yourself. Oh, um, because we are talking about it the last few episodes, I want to go to Sock and look at the Super Soldier Serum for a second. Okay, yes. Oh my, yeah, no, because that's been a really important fucking part of um, the points against uh, Korra. Yeah, so, it's interesting. There are a few different things. I'm not sure which one you could ultimately blame it on. Maybe it's just a collection of the things mm-hmm. altogether. I mean, first there's just a really boring thing where they're just sort of out and out tend to be better jokes. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily explain the characterization. Like, Bolin could theoretically have the same character of better jokes and still irritate me by acting the way he does. I have a couple of theories. Bang, bang. So theory one is that Bolin's jokes were written. I don't know this. Mm -hmm. And Sokka's jokes were improvised. I do know this. 
I know that a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of Sokka's characterization came from Jack Decina just uh, deciding that Sokka was a goofier character than originally written. <laughs> like you watch the you know the the first couple episodes of Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. He's fairly serious, and then occasionally silly things happen to him, uh, and then throughout the first season, right? Um, he sort of comes into his own a little bit more as this, uh, you know, very pragmatic guy who is insecure and also bad shit is always happening to him. I feel like the series Bible, there's a line in it and the line is just two words. Just fuck Sokka. (laughs) Sokka at some point after stepping on a black cat peed on a burning bush. And now the spirits will not forgive and they will not forget. Um, although the, the fuck Sokka thing does sort of, uh, die down a little bit in the third season, I've been noticing. I think, I think everyone gets to share the pain a little bit in the third season. And by everyone, I mean Zuko. His pain levels throughout the series are consistent, but half of his pain becomes funnier in the third. Anyway, the wacky shit is a little more narratively integrated, at least in the first and second when I was rewatching it. I think so. It doesn't uh, draw as much attention to itself, maybe. Honestly, the dial of the kind of comedy that Sokka goes for, whatever dial it is, mm-hmm. that's at an 11 with fucking Varric and Bolin, is at like an 8. Yeah, I would agree. Like, they are not pumping the gas as hard as one might remember in terms of... Well, it's because a lot of the sort of wacky bullshit with Sokka, I think you find that it's happening... Not in the background, but a little bit off to the side, whereas fucking Bolin and Varric and whoever will just fucking charge their way to center stage. Yeah. And, you know, deliver their fucking Joss Whedon reject dialogue. Uh, which... Uh, it hurts my like, spine. Like, the thing is, the thing is, is that that just is the sort of school of, you know, TV comedy dialogue that you know Bright likes uh and it's present right it's, it's present pre- with soccer right you know he's like i am a fan it's of, present you know, tabasco actor. sauce can be good tabasco sauce can be very good yeah you just gotta keep it out of your nostrils but also, and like out of cake also i would like this to also taste like taco meat as well and not just <laughs> tabasco it helps a bit that he is also generally a smart person saying yes, or yes. choosing Bolin smart is things a, and i was about to say a really uncool word right now bolin is a fucking dumbass yeah yeah i start I remember... to fucking finish in that series and there's nothing compelling about his fucking idiocy uh the way that Sokka, you know though hard-headed right is smart is pragmatic it does always tend to have somewhat of a point throughout, you know. Generally, his... if there is some unavoidable conflict that they have to charge into, he will have a comment. I had a specific line down, but it's lost to whiskey. Which um, which episode was it? It, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm technically brain damaged right now. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, if you gave me the episode, I could probably summon the lineup for you. God, they had to go into some Fire Nation town. Okay. No, nothing, nothing. That, that that sounds like the first half of season three. Could we narrow it down just a little bit more? Was it the one where they were scamming people? No, look, I am the aftermath of Denard right Was now. Was it the, the Footloose Odyssey. one? Oh, man, the Footloose one. Some people on the internet hate that thing. 
it's fine. It's good. It's, no, no, it's, actually, it's fine. I, it's I, a good I, episode. I, it's like there's nothing wrong with that episode. Yeah, come on, come on. We're, we're trying to deprogram some teens here. We're having fun. <laughs> it was good. Um, there, there's a lot of really great little bits of animation in that episode in particular that you can always get the sense that someone was really enjoying working on a show. In mm-hmm. season two in particular, I was noticing a lot of like little like second and a half long shots that were just beautifully fucking animated for almost no reason. Like oh, they could have been less. Oh yeah, there are things where you can feel the love. Like the show has a lot of things, almost their version of them choosing to do that fucking die cut floor and Roger Rabbit when yeah, they the, totally could have not the given themselves that kind of work, but Exactly. The, like yeah, yeah, like with the floor and the lamp, right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, so I think in uh, Tales of Bossing Say is the one where I fucking noticed it. It is uh, during the tale of Zuko, right? Um, mm-hmm. When the um, <laughs> I'm Come not on. gonna I'm not gonna call her by the fucking nickname Jin. Jin. Her name is Jin. Okay. Okay. Her name fine. is Jin, and she. Hey, everyone! Weeaboo Hell's not getting canceled this week. <laughs> her name is Jin, and she she has. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh. anyway the. <laughs> Anyway, there's just a scene... I love watching you walk away from temptation in real time. (laughs) There's just a scene where she's moving, you know, from one side of the screen to the other. um, And it is animated in such a lovely little way um, that they didn't need to do. And it wouldn't have subtracted anything from the episode had they not done it. But it just looked so great for 0.75 seconds. And I just kind of wondered, like, oh, why? I don't know, because just, they're just fucking playing for the love of the game there for a second. And I've been enjoying this rewatch so much, right? Because I didn't really know to look for those things, mm-hmm. you know, the last time I watched this thing. So seeing those little moments of just a little bit of extra love, it's nice. It's a nice little treat. So something I've been doing lately, mm-hmm. I'm watching a lot of uh, old martial arts flicks. Yeah. Like I rewatched... So it's technically the first two Shogun Assassins movies, but they were released as one long movie in America for, I don't know, marketing reasons, whatever. And after watching, great, great movie, by the way. It's based off those Lone Wolf and Cub comics and all that. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. The point is, I, I've been watching a bunch of shit like that, and I, then I came back to the first Avatar series. A love for that kind of thing really just infuses a lot of their approach to these just standoffs and duels and showdowns in this show, and I really appreciate the personality that it lends to the show. Because there are other shows where action is interestingly framed, but the way that they can set up a a tone and pace and stuff the Avatar universe is something I really appreciate. And like I said, it is a strength that even stays with their darkest moments. Like, if you just sort of squint at Unalak fighting his brother, you're like, there's some nice fight geography here and I don't want to give it to you. On that note, one thing that I've been paying extra special attention to this time, right, is what are the fights that Aang loses? Why does he lose them? And why do I still believe in him as a character who is capable of succeeding even after he does lose these fights? And I have no one answer to any of this right but i do have thoughts uh which you know i think is is as much as anyone can have the first one being that whenever ang loses a fight right 
actually the protagonist just in general, right? Because the problem with Korra is um, we can't just put it on her. It's a disease that infects him. I think it, it just hurts her a lot because she's supposed to she's be... She's supposed to be, yeah. This borderline but combat Jesus. Whenever you put Aang in a situation where he... I think they do it infrequently enough, right? Mm. Or they will never put two of these instances back to back. Um, I think the episodic nature of the show works in its favor because if he loses a fight in one episode, he's going to win the rematch in that episode as well. No damage is ever done to his credibility. So I hadn't tracked that so closely in terms of fights, but I actually did have a running thing I was thinking about during this in comparison to Korra, Mm -hmm. which is how do we treat characters making mistakes as a dramatic device and for point of comparison we're talking about things like you know Korra believing her uncle in spite of all human traits of evidence etc mm. and comparing that to things like I don't know Aang runs off into the water for a hundred years and fucks up or Aang tries to keep his friends from leaving him so he hides this critical piece of evidence yeah. so I think things like that and first off they try to make sure that most of these mistakes just aren't boneheaded and a lot of them are just rooted in these rooted in their insecurities insecurities emotional problems things that are like maybe better fonts for conflict than just picking up the idiot ball and putting in your mouth and trying to see how many idiot balls you you can put in there until you're like a fucking chipmunk i think a lot of this also has to do with um a couple things first I think a lot of the mistakes that are made by the protagonists of this show are maybe come off as more forgivable because the characters are just younger. That is also a thing that that vagaries of youth. That is a factor, certainly. It's a it's a non-zero factor. I don't think it's the whole thing, but it is a non-zero factor. Second, I think because of the format of Avatar versus the format of Korra, uh, the episodic with an overarching plot versus the this is one episode in an arc of, you know, 12 to 14 episodes, right? Mm -hmm. I think when you've got 22 minutes, it ends up feeling less frustrating uh, when a character makes a mistake in an episode and then learns from that mistake in the same episode. But there's almost implying, right, that Korra makes a mistake in one early episode and then learns from it in a later episode. And she I don't just think, keeps doing the same shit. I don't think that that is what happens. Yeah. I think they have this idea that she's going to learn from the mistake. But what lesson was she learning when she opened up the spirit world into the material she's world? She's a line stepper, Sam. Like Dave Chappelle said, she's a habitual line stepper. <laughs> I don't know how that was the... What would you even fucking describe it as? How that was the end of the conversation that the season was having about spirits. How is this the point of character growth with what became before it, basically? Like, what's exactly, the continuity? Yeah. I think they just fucking overbooked themselves in season two. I think that was one of the main problems. Was they, they were just doing all this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think I forgot to touch on that um, in the last episode. But there was so fucking much shit going on in season two. Oh, there yeah. Moving parts all over this. A, B, C, D, and sometimes E plots, right? I don't mm-hmm. think we ever got anything more than a C plot in an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. And C plots were rare. Mm-hmm. And so... I know saying that it was necessarily a mistake to complicate 
Korra a little bit. I don't think that that's necessarily a problem in and of itself, but I think when they did complicate it, that is when they started running into problems that they had really big troubles fixing and often yeah. did not. And you could really, really feel the difference mm. in your blood pressure and your doctor asked what you've been up to. It was this really fucking hard day when I had to contend with the fact that I actually just hated a season mm -hmm. of an Avatar show. The prequel comparison keeps on coming up, and it's it that real. Happening. Yeah, just this, this. It's that real weird moment where this thing that's in your top X whatever's now has a skid mark on its ass. Just, oh man, dude, the average has been brought down. That's. And you have to contend with that truth. You got a cool Django Fett doll out of it. I did get a cool Django Fett doll. Was it worth it? Was no. it worth that one level of Star Wars Bounty Hunter where you die over and over and over and over? Oh, the one where you go to the, the, the Death Stick Factory, right? And you keep mm -hmm. falling out into the fucking, like, <laughs> flaming pit? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that fucking level. Why did they sell that game to kids? No one... No one beat that game. No one fucking beat that game. And if you say you did, you're a fucking liar. What's... <laughs> If you go around saying you beat Star Wars Bounty Hunter, Captain America is disappointed in you. You're doing a disservice to yourself and your country by saying these things, by spreading these terrible lies. Yeah. Oh, man. But in The Last Airbender, mm -hmm. so many of the best episodes are full of this spirit world stuff. Yeah. That I can see how they like really wanted that to be a subject like later on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love the whole Wan Chi Tong library sequence. That was so cool. And the vibe I get in Korra whenever these sp almost little games come up with the spirit, like, you need to, like, trick this one's letting you into his library. You need to play the fucking game of Faces of Ko. It really catches the tone of... It's like that sequence of Dark Tower where this gunslinger who's been shooting his way through this whole thing suddenly has to, like, trade riddles of a train. Mm-hmm. And... I guess for a martial arts series, it's a very nice variation in tone in terms of like the, the problems they have to solve, what they're trying to do. I I think it's what makes this stuff so memorable. So there's a couple of aspects to the whole whenever the spirits are encountered in Avatar thing, right? Where it always plays out a little bit like a fable or whatever, right? Yeah. Where, you know, like the, the monkey king had to go to, you know, the, the face-stealing spirit and, you know, like it, he asked him three questions and, you know, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, on the third time, for only a second, he, you know, revealed his uh, his horror, right? But then, you know, before the spirit could catch him, he adjusted his face back, right? Well, th that sort of thing, right? They recognized that, right? It was probably intentional and thought in like the beginnings episode in or the the, the two-parter and you know, the, the one two-parter in um in book two okay Oops. let's uh let's do what we were doing there except these guys love this tabasco sauce <laughs> <laughs> then there's what i was saying um in the last episode where not everything needs a fucking explanation fucking um douglas adams you know isn't it nice that a garden is nice and pretty without imagining that there are all sorts of little fairies living in it and i think that is the thing that avatar does and maybe they just didn't have enough time to fuck it up or whatever where here's the world here is it being built mm -hmm. and you can imagine a whole bunch of things about it because there are you know, one or two things that are just sort of okay here's the thing here's an aspect of this world um, and it's never 
codified in so many words or whatever, right? And then Korra goes back and codifies everything, and it makes the world feel smaller. I call this a Sith Lightning problem. Because if you're into Star Wars, like, into, into Star Wars, as the games and books and movies go on, every little Force thing mm-hmm. becomes, like, a move with points and a method and a, and a teaching aspect and a backstory and a... Like, Sith Lightning is a thing you put points in in Knights of the Republic. Yes. The reason I specifically talk about that is that, like, when you go back to that first, like, trilogy, there isn't, like, a dark side move of lightning or something. He's just this elemental force. What could a crazy old wizard do? Oh, my God, he can just fucking shoot lightning now. (laughs) Just fucking George Lucas, like, Metropolis. That was why he could shoot lightning. Yeah, yeah. And the dialogue and how a lot of things are treated in Korra that come from Avatar is a lot like just a Sith lightning thing. That's a good metaphor, yeah. Here's the thing that people liked. Okay, let's give them more of it in the form of um, pages of textbook. Uh, And Avatar didn't need pages of textbook. I think there's this fucking unwinnable thing right when you have a piece of media like avatar right uh and you just fucking are able to fucking dive in there and sink your teeth into it and lose yourself in it and then it ends and then you know all you're left with are two things a the text and b the fandom oh no and that's (laughs) maybe that's enough right (laughs) maybe that can be enough for you but um when you get a cult going the way that Avatar did in such a way that allowed a show like Korra to happen. Uh, and I, I think I did the math. Mm-hmm. Korra happened, I think, only three years after Avatar concluded. There was not this big span of time, really, yeah. where, you know, here is slash was Avatar. And it was this show that we all fucking loved. And, you know, everyone for decades has been clamoring to bring it back. No, man, it was three fucking years. I feel like there have been, you know, spans of time where, you know, in between Digimon I mean, marketing death squads have gotten savvier over time. And when they caught a whiff of that Star Wars money that hovers around Mm -hmm. Avatar, because a successful, like, Foundations epic fantasy story is something that you can back currency with. Oh, man. And is it ever a victim of its own success? The American dollar, there is no gold behind it. There are lightsabers. There are toy lightsabers in a vault. There are lightsabers in a vault. There is a shield with a star in it that goes... There are libertarians that get angry when the government puts out too many toy lightsabers (laughs) because they're fucking with our money. And that is how profitable those things can be. So, so, yeah, you you have a great point there. I could, if I wanted to, I'm not going to, but I could spin this into a story of how fandoms make everything worse. Because the, you know, Legend of Korra would not exist without the massive fucking fandom that, you know, erupted around Avatar, right? Mm -hmm. They would not have felt so compelled to demystify fucking everything about this universe, you know, over the course of, you know, three awful seasons and one good season having been watching it i don't think i enjoyed as much as i did the first time but it's good um book three I mean, right right a little Korra. slower than i remember it's a little bit slower uh, 
it takes its time. I don't necessarily mind that because yeah. a book two just fucking just like we gotta get through these fucking plot points. Yeah. Random thing I really like about this original show, mm-hmm. and this isn't a deep observation. The last Airbender kind of has fun job squads. Oh, like, what once the they fucking get bored, rhinos. Yeah, because <laughs> I want to say maybe five episodes in, they sort of get bored with just masked firebender number 13 and he's kind of started messing with what they put out there oh yeah like the, they'll introduce pirates or whatever you know yeah. just jet as an antagonist i always enjoy their version of those little drive-by characters and it's one of those things that also you know in something that paint is painting this broader broad strokes does make it feel a little more lived in like this place has these guys and and then ang bugs bunnied them <laughs> Which is a quality of his that I deeply enjoy. I love that his, and it's modulated in a way that's not like bathosy. But his Bugs Bunny things is is like retained even in serious fucking conflicts, like that western ass episode where everyone just tries to delete Azula from the world. (laughs) There is this one perfect little spot where you get so much of these three characters' personalities and how they handle this one little bit of geography. Where Aang zips across... The, okay, there's this door they turn through, but there's no floor. Mm-hmm. And Aang just zips across easily because he's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And Azula has this thing where she just loses all grace for a second, waving her hands, and then collects herself and almost looks angry that she was, like, seen this off balance for a second. And, and Zuko, Zuko just, just falls fuck, right and the fuck through. shit. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about from the fucking... Uh, from the chase, yeah. And... I, I love that. <laughs> it was a wonderful little scene. Just them revealing kind of character through action in such a way. And Zuko just has to, has to keep plugging on because that's the life he lives. Okay, here's a great fucking thing that came to me while I was watching through uh, book two of Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. Is in season two specifically of Korra, right? And then again, season four of Korra, you have... Here is Korra. Her thing is that she jobs. Um, it's not as though Zuko doesn't have his fucking share of L's. In fact, I think if you look at all of the confrontations that he gets into over the course of the series, I want to say that the majority of them are losses. I yeah. think his win-loss ratio tips a little bit more towards the latter. But the thing is, is that it does feel like this tangible journey where you can trace it of him finally surpassing Azula and beating her in the end, right? It, it all seems to be pointed towards some purpose. There seems to be a lesson in every failure. Sometimes I think I'm overdoing framing it in terms of wins and losses, because it's not really that. There are great seasons that are all just someone sort of getting kicked in the nuts by life mm-hmm. and climbing back up to their feet, and you admire their pluckiness to get those nards stomped on one more time like they're with the fucking German dominatrix. Like you can tell season three. Yeah. yeah, and th- there's a real innate charm to that that Frank Miller is very good at for some fucking reason. Mm. And I really think it's just the idea of making sure that your actions and outcomes have meaning and personality behind them. Yeah, because it's they- clear enough in the moment why this is happening. Um, yeah, and the answer to why it is happening is not this bullshit. Well, you know, we got to fill twelve episodes, right? Because <laughs> every now and again. Specifically in book two, Spirits, and book four, Balance. Oof. Every, a lot of the times when Korra loses, it just feels like it's because it they needed this to keep going on for a little bit longer. Because she needed to, or else, you know, that would be it just now. 
since we have already gone over book two, I'll just use book two as an example, right? Every fucking time she fucks up spirit bending, right? <laughs> it's it's not like Zuko had the advantage, right? Of a lot of his L's being L's that he took against Azula, right? Where, you know, part of his arc, right? Is becoming the person who could finally beat her in the end. But Korra, right, is dealing with spirits again and it's just this vague fucking thing that doesn't actually necessarily mean anything that that is very true or any that one is thing at the very least a good observation i've said so much on the first time anything you want what happens to reflect the person you're telling us they are mm-hmm Zuko getting his balls stomped on by God does add up to the person you are telling me he is. I believe you. Yeah. It's part of his story. I feel like the person they want me to believe Korra is should be coming into this scene on a skateboard saying something pithy, DDTing Kuvira through a table. They get so fucking close in book three. They get so fucking close in book three. We're not... So this isn't the book three episode, but having been watching book three again of Korra, they get so tantalizingly close to what I'm pretty sure was the original idea that they had for Korra and her character and how she acts and how she interacts with the world. Um, Yeah. And they never get that close again. Um, And I understand the whole essence of character struggles. You know, it's sometimes hard to live up to your idea of yourself. That's fine. But... Try to make sure that these characters sometimes live up to your vision of what they are at all. (laughs) Even a little. Sometimes, please, for the love of God. (sighs) I think when a character arc is meant to frustrate you, right? I'm not necessarily saying that someone's journey should not necessarily be a little bit frustrating. Because life can be like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think the reasons that it is frustrating right you need to have better ones than they had for Korra um and Zuko right when he fucking regresses at the end of book two right because as much as he's tried to move on from it he still fucking has all this shit in his head dogging him you know he still has these fucking demons and he still has the ghost of his father and the literal ghost of his mother and Azula fucking knows it and fucking plays him like a goddamn fiddle and it's frustrating and you fucking are tearing your hair out um because of how invested you are in this in this kid's growth and how much like he is frustrating you you are Iroh in that moment right Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, fucking Korra goes to Fight Club and gets her shit kicked in. And I don't know, man. Maybe like, I'm you... not being fair. I've, I, I, I'm getting this feeling like I'm not being fair right now. Like I'm, like I'm picking the well, wrong this, moment. I know, this isn't a courtroom. I know, but I like to treat it like it is sometimes. I don't you are to... sometimes on this aspect of criticism, perhaps my uh, morality pet. I don't want to as... be doing anything in bad faith, and I don't want to be fucking YouTube-y about shit, you know? <laughs> because that's that's There's kind a... of a fate worse than death to me. So I'm trying There's to... There's a corner I'm... of YouTube I have to call fake bread to, but it's like that fucking Lily Ocean territory. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Orchard? 
or whatever. I don't yeah. give a fuck. <laughs> Where you just end up with a fucking two-hour video called How Steven Universe stabbed my kids and threw them in a river. She was whining about the release schedule. Who the fuck do you think is going to control Fat Rebecca Sugar? Are you fucking choking? This show would have been better if everyone had driven into work on time and had a rich, hearty breakfast. <laughs> no, the, um... Lily Orchard, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what bit I can compare. Okay, so here's here's the bit. Um, the bit is early on in book two of Korra when, you know, she has her giant fucking fight with Mako because they've both been fucking morons. And yes, <laughs> their being moronic has been somewhat character-driven or something, but um, it's like you're watching them, right? You're watching the writing almost makes sense except they shouldn't be this dumb it doth hurt it doth hurt a bit of a more of a shit posty point yeah but a fun thing in the original series mm-hmm. i just love the stupid fusion animals i don't know i'm easily oh, entertained yeah, on from some front what was your favorite one of those things the rabaroo the rabaroo the rabaroos they're so good that's nice my favorite was just the running gag of the farm in zuko alone where everything is some variation of pig and you have cow pigs and sheep pigs. And then I think everyone for t- a second, just one second, there is a rooster pig that flutters in and off frame and I kind of lost my shit. There's a lot of people who say that that is the best episode of that show. The argument it can absolutely be made. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to argue Crossroads of Destiny is. I do love me some Empire. I do love me some Empire. And I think there's also an argument to be made. At least it is the funniest episode is The Blind Bandit. The Blind Bandit but all, puts again, a smong in I, my heart. I'm showing my Mark ass here. You see, this is the ambiguity comes in here because just the micro-targeting. They fucking aimed it straight at my fucking forehead and pulled the trigger. I was micro-targeted just now. It's like, oh, thank you, algorithm, for pandering to me on this fine day. Jin Fu, I think, is supposed to look like, um, is supposed to look like Bret Hart. That's fucking great. Right? Right? He looks like Bret Hart. Uh, I, maybe I'm wrong. I support- maybe it's a coincidence. But, like, he looks like fucking Bret Hart. He's got the fucking wrestler I support wrestler this message. I was also happy when the fucking boulder came back during the eclipse. Oh, absolutely. It's good fan service. Certainly. As as they managed to kind of like work it in in a way that's not obnoxious. Yeah. You know the thing that I was uh, noticing is that there's this agreement that the music in Korra is better than the music in Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I mm-hmm. think the easy, like, okay, so you pose that as a question: Is the music in Korra better than the music in Avatar: The Last Airbender? And the very easy answer to that question is yes. But. The, Your capital B but, okay. My capital B but is that I have come to appreciate the music in Avatar The Last Airbender so much fucking more now that I'm actively looking out for it. Uh. Um, and given that it is a soundtrack to a TV show, and it is very fucking difficult to make a good soundtrack to a TV show given the schedule that a composer is on, um, the musical identity that they give that show and also the fun little things that they do with the music in it it's great like i oh I, they, there are a million lovely sound design stings on that show i like the 
whenever something kind of unfortunate happens to Iroh, they will play this sad violin mm-hmm. version of the Fire Nation theme song. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. <laughs> this is sort of as a means of making fun of him. Uh, I really enjoy that. Fucking what else? Aang and Katara have a love theme, and you think it's like the dee doo 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 dee doo doo. No, that's actually just Katara's theme song. Um, it's actually like a slightly more subtle one. You see it, you know, it'll come up. You'll if you're looking for it, you will notice it. Here's a fun bit of continuity thing. Aang's leitmotif and Korra's leitmotif. A, if you play one and then the other, form a complete musical theme. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and B, you can also just have them harmonize with one another, and it works too. Like, uh, Aang's leitmotif <laughs> is... um. I, oh yeah, right, everyone knows that. And then Korra's leitmotif is... I really like that. Right, part, so yeah. you you play those, you know, like right right next to one another. I wish you'd one they... more fight so I could hear it more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could you could either play one in front of the other, or you could just play them both at the same time. I can't do that. I I, I only have one set of lips. Oh yeah, we um, um we are not deeply musically talented on Weibo Hell. I can yeah. sweep pick. <laughs> unfortunately, I cannot talk about this with the expertise or depth that others can but um i the music on both of these shows are so fucking good and the utility with which the original series was composed is uh deceptively impressive Uh, man something that struck me sort of more of a book two and three thing Mm -hmm. with their just choice to humanize like a third of the fire nation faction the show has some of just the best Are We the Baddies, like, drive-by jokes. Like, I remember there was a scene uh-huh. during Zuko's flashback where it's just Iroh riding from the front. Uh-huh. There's plenty to see. And it's not, this isn't the exact line. I'm just improvising here, but it's like, a lot of great things to see here in Ba Sing Se. Hopefully we don't burn it all to the ground first. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, praise the Fire Nation. <laughs> and I kind of just like that top spin on it. It feeds into the thing the show has where a lot of you are is where you're from, but you don't have to be that. Yes. I also like how they sort of write that into Katara's character, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, throughout the first season, right? Yes, the Fire Nation has basically fucking destroyed what whatever the old world was, right? It has committed genocide, has done all these horrible things. She's kind of racist, just a little bit um not unjustifiably right it is like it is completely understandable that she has these negative associations with these people because you know she has only ever been on like the wrong end of one of their fists mm-hmm. um as as they fire bin because like they, they always have like the fist when they fire bin and then you know you throughout season three she's sort of forced to see them as a people rather right. than as an invading army um and you know this character arc is kind of uh wrapped up in you know how she ends up sort of forming a friendship with zuko right and how she sort of has to confront um why she is this angry it's oh, it's great i want to help these kids guitar careful it gets hot on that side of town <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Katara's little arcs have this great little 
there's great little dips into fucking family drama that I like where, um, especially, um, her relationship with, uh, w- with her dad, Hakoda, where she's fucking mad at him for something that was no one's fault, but it still fucking happened and you can't change it and it sucks and mm. there's nothing you can fucking do about it. And Jesus, fuck, did I feel that shit? A lot of the story around her is good. But there is that season one plot thing with Paku, the sexist waterbending master. Yeah. I am convinced that is a storyline that a contemporary show would fuck up. Like, just press the gas way too hard or cloyingly. Probably, yeah. And it was impressive, just... I would feel like... They did it in a way that felt smart but simple. I would feel like, so you like donuts, do you? Well, then have all the donuts in the world! (laughs) That would probably be how they wrote that that plot line if, uh, yeah, if Avatar were happening in 2020. It's a... It is a thing. I really appreciate that War Machine episode from the first season again. Oh, yeah. I should talk about that. Just like the, the whole I, coping with change and loss thing going yeah, on Yeah, no, so so one one episode that I was, uh, that I, uh, upon this rewatch that I saw, and it fucking affected me way more than I thought it was going to, way more than it had in the past, just because, I don't know, like I, I, I know more about shit now than I did four or five years ago is um the northern air temple episode right where they uh get getting close to the end of the first season where they come across the northern air temple and you know the mechanist and his son and you know their people or whatever have set up shop there and turned the whole thing into this factory slash workshop and there's all this fucking like almost demonic looking machinery just fucking sticking out of every single you know like former temple artifact of you know like of what is left of a fucking dead people of Aang's dead people and he's just sort of forced to look at this look at what has been done what cannot be undone right as just yet another bit of (laughs) what he you know left behind in a fit of panic is pulled away from him even more right this don't forget, you could have stopped all of this. There's that too, and then there's the fucking just real life parallels, right? Yeah. As well, just, you know, what the American people have done to, you know, who came before us, you know, who we took this place from. Uh, like his whole cattiness throughout this episode because he has just seen his world get sort of paved over is and that's why really I kind of nice. Forget, that's why I kind of actually almost entirely forgive him being like kind of a dick when Appa got kidnapped and he just... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's like their consistent sort of rage, but it just, he loses a piece. Like, every time he loses another, another piece of, you know, the world that, you know, he left behind slash was taken from him, right? It, it's, it's just never a fucking good day that he has. Uh, I guess it kind of feeds into why Tenzin reads well as a character. Yes, that's why I'm a little bit more forgiving of Tenzin, you know, kind of being the way he is especially like early on in season three where it's like you sound like a fucking moron (laughs) it's like okay i guess i understand why you sound like a fucking moron um no there's that i and and again then like you know the serpent's past episode where he's just like what if i don't think about the problem at all what if i just ignore the fact that i am upset Uh, (laughs) it's like it's like hey guys you know where that problem's going it's going in the hole. It's going right it's... down there in the Irish place. <laughs> With Aang, I like to call it the penguin place. The penguin place. The older I get, the more compelling Aang becomes. Because every every fucking bad coping mechanism that he adopts, I think I've probably done something like that at some point or another. I He's not just relatable. If the plot 
of the last Airbender. Or he's not just identifiable and relatable. He's very identifiable and relatable. I don't know. I don't know of a better adjective. If the plot of the last Airbender had happened when Aang was in his twenties, mm-hmm. he would have died of alcohol poisoning. Entirely possible, or he would have fucking just killed someone. <laughs> Or just driven the rest of Team Avatar away. You know what scans way better? Speaking of things on a rewatch when you're just older. What's that? What scans way better when you're not an edgy teenager is like, why, if I was the Avatar, I would simply bloodbend the Fire Lord and ride on a skateboard. His whole struggle just not wanting to lose his identity to this conflict is... Yes. It, it scans oh, way God, better so than fucking good. Just, after you know, you've leveled out a bit. I, I, I love... How op- this the show is more optimistic than me, uh, and I fucking love it for it. I, I love its ultimate. The decision that it ultimately makes is that you don't need to be less than who you are in order to you know find your destiny, in order to achieve your destiny, and that yeah. is. You know, like what I was talking about in the last episode with the fucking lion turtle. Got it right this time. Uh, uh, it's also sprinkled throughout a little more than I think people give them credit for. Like the whole. It's a little wackier until you hit the dramatic term, but the whole Avatar State episode is basically about that tile. Yeah. Zuko's he entire hates fucking that, character yeah, is about that. Yeah. I appreciate a lot more their treatment of the reason the Avatar State is not really a free plot button is that he hates this thing he becomes that just wants to zero every problem they have. Because, mm-hmm. you know, every single fucking past life he has talked to is like, now you should fucking murk the bastards. <laughs> so like, Sometimes a nigga gotta die. <laughs> Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi. Uh, you could argue that pretty much everyone's character arc in this show, everyone who has a character arc, like Iroh doesn't because he's already had his. It seems yeah. like um, it seems Iroh like is Suki the has as well. Yeah, like Iroh is, is a man at the end of his journey. But everyone who does have a character arc in this, I think you could sort of relate it back to the, like, if you you don't need to sacrifice who you are in order to achieve your destiny, in fact, you are denying yourself your destiny by doing so. Yeah. Um. Definitely, definitely counts with Aang. Definitely counts with Zuko. Trying to figure out if it counts um, with Katara and Sokka uh, and Toph. Toph is actually a pretty static character. Toph is. I don't know what the action equivalent of comic relief is but she is basically there for posturing a funny line posturing a funny line and kicking ass yeah is the character equivalent of a motorcycle it makes me upset that she grew up to become a cop and I'm trying to keep my own beliefs and ideologies out of this I mean her whole thing is just She's on a way more chaotic bent as a person. Yeah, that's the thing. She's so aggressively chaotic neutral. She doesn't actually have a stated moral or ethical reason for opposing the Fire Lord. She's there because it's fun. She's there because it's fun. And, I don't know, she's not a firebender, so she'll presumably be burned and enslaved at some point. It'd be bad if that happened. And she's not a fucking sociopath who doesn't care about millions of lives. Right? So, So she's, you know, she's there. The Avatar has asked has asked her to teach him airbending like Mm. yeah okay this sounds fun i guess there's a little thing in there about opening up but it's not that deep and there's not that much time about it no it's it's why she didn't get a field trip with zuko (laughs) fucking great (laughs) i think they were trying they were actually kind of lampshading that towards the end there where she was trying to have an arc but like zuko didn't give a shit (laughs) i think the only other like 
heavily featured figure that just never gets on a development train is Ty Lee. She is one of the most just there characters. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with Ty Lee. Even Mai gets like a thing. Well, actually, I do like that they are both just sitting next to crazy pants over here like, yo, we got to do something, man. We- well, I like that. Um, I think they both have a similar arc where they realize that they don't really have to be afraid of this bitch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, they kind of realize, I don't actually like you very much. I mostly just am terrified of you. And now that I've seen who you really are, there's not really that much to be scared of. Before we go, I just want to talk about one more element of the show. Mm-hmm. And it's related to the characterization of Fire Nation characters. Yeah. Some people don't like Ozai because he doesn't have a second personality trait. And you have failed to understand <laughs> no, 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 what like... a great and slightly hilarious device this man is. No, Ozai is exactly what he needs to be. He doesn't need a motivate. It's not... It's That's not important. Ozai's motivation is the word, THE WORLD, (laughs) underlined (laughs) in Red Sharpie three times. Everything you needed about this man is just in the Phoenix King declaration sequence. What a beautiful fucking moment in history that scene was. Well, I, think- I could have sung the Fire Nation anthem as our glorious Phoenix King. Well, I think if you if you need if you need to understand why Ozai is such a great villain, then you need to go back to what I was talking about with Aang and his intense fear of failure. And how fucking Ozai is literally every single fucking fear. Of Aang's made manifest in a human being. Yeah. He is just as uncompromising. He is just as unwilling to be redeemed. He is just as violent. He is just as tyrannical. He is he is everything that a protagonist could fear about someone they are eventually going to have to face down. Someone who they will need to fight and they will need to win. And they are not going to go down easy because they are the Phoenix King and they will burn this fucking world down if you do not stop I, I love how everything about him is keyed up to level. Remember when he just tore off his clothes and just abs all the way down? <laughs> I was like, yes! This is the fucking greatest... So Ozla is a fucking great villain, and if you don't think so, then you're wrong. <laughs> he is very much so a projection of Aang's anxieties, right? But this is a show about Aang. Exactamundo. Anyway, Avatar is a uh, great program. Wonderful fucking show. If you are in the uh, genre of pedant that is saying, you know, is it technically an anime if it's outside of Japan? I will um, free Sam to send you an envelope full of, I can only assume, is horse urine in a little baggie. It's an anime. And? Yeah, Avatar is an anime. Anime is no longer limited to Japan. It is a global movement concept, whatever I think you want to call it. Fight it's, me. It's a peel as brought up. I think anyone should watch it and enjoy it. It'll add a little oh, to your yeah, life unless you yeah. are a member of local law enforcement, in which case, eat it. Fuck you. <laughs> this has been Weeaboo Hell. It's, it's Weeaboo Hell. Hell. Thank you. Drowning and come peace. from. <laughs> Drowning come from. <laughs>